This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us once again here in the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks home office located in beautiful Hackettstown, New Jersey. We are a private forecasting company, and our services stretch across the United States. And joining me as always here in the Weather Lounge is my dazzling co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. How are things? What's going on? Uh, not too bad. We're uh, looking okay <laughs> here. We're trying to get through this winter that... Uh, Seems to uh, not want to let go now. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know, today we're going to introduce another topic that we talked about before here on the Weather Lounge, and that is forensic meteorology. Oh, wait. You know what? I don't recall a podcast about forensic meteorology, but wait. Oh, Oh, that was the one I was left out of. Oh, that's right. I I wasn't invited (laughs) Uh, to that one. That is true. Uh yeah, sorry, Brad. We just had no room for you in that podcast. Uh, no, no. We had in um, uh, Sherilyn uh, Patrick, and she was there talking about the forensic department, and so was Zach Chabala, one of our other meteorologists. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, you know, with three people there, we felt if we added Brad in, you know, he'd feel like almost I like know, a it would have been too much. You know I, mean? I know. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway. That's okay. It was a very good. It was a very good, informative uh, podcast, though, about forensics. That's for sure. And we're just going to kind of elaborate now and take it a step further today. Yeah, yeah. And that first podcast was all about you know what we do with forensic meteorology, and then we also went through a bit of a case study to have almost like an idea of how things go down when it comes to um, you know being in court and being on the stand with a with a meteorologist and, and what kind of questions are asked. And that's where our CEO, Frank Lombardo, got involved. And that was really great um, to have him uh, on that episode. Um, but Brad, uh, let's uh, invite in our new guest, huh? Yeah, that'd be great. He's a integral part of the uh, forensic team here uh, at Weatherworks. Yeah, and that is meteorologist Tommy Else. And I think I got your title wrong, Tommy. I know you're over there, so... Give us your true title. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's changed uh, three times over the uh, course of my employment at Weatherworks. Let's see. I started off as a uh, staff meteorologist from okay. uh, 97 to 2005, and then I was chief meteorologist um, for several years, and then recently now senior forensic meteorologist. So we're getting more creative on the titles. <laughs> That is true, but I mean, you you've been uh, you've been one of the first hires, I believe, uh, that uh, Frank Lombardo uh, added to Weatherworks, correct? Yes, in fact, um, the odd story and, and uh, ironic thing is, I grew up listening to uh, Frank Lombardo on the radio, uh, WCTC. WCTC. Yep, and John Leo, Tony Salimo. Um, I, you know, back in my day, um, you know, prior to 1990. There was no weather channel. Uh, there was no internet. You had either their local news station or you had to tune into uh, TV and follow the weather. But I was glued to uh, 1450 WCTC, and I knew when Frank was going to be on or John or Tony. And I would even wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and put it on, and I had no idea it was being recorded. And I'm like, okay, good, it's still going to snow, or <laughs> all right, we have rain coming on, um, but. <clears throat> I actually contacted Frank Lombardo uh, back when I was in college. This was right after the January 1996 blizzard, if you guys recall that, January 6th and 7th. 
And his first question was, okay, can you start tomorrow? And I said, wait, wait a minute. I'm a, a junior. Um, I start full-time classes in a couple of weeks. I said, there's no way. I said, well, actually, I'm looking to see if I can get an internship um, for the summer of 1996. And he goes, oh, you know what? I don't know. I like to travel a lot with my family. Let me get back to you. But he, uh, he eventually did. And so in May 96, I started working for Frank as an intern. I come up a couple days a week. I think we had to get over 120 hours uh, to get credit. And I just was so gung-ho about forecasting. That's all I wanted to do. Did you cover that in the first month of uh, internship, my, uh, Tommy? I actually did. Yeah, I think I, I actually went way over my time because I loved it so much. Um, but one of the things that he introduced me to, when because I, I, I always thought it was just, all right, I'm going to be on radio. I'm going to prepare forecasts for clients. And that's it. And then he says... No, we can't do that here. And I said, why not? He says, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You have to um, have something other than weather because weather, there's not always going to be weather. There's going to be tranquil periods. I said, oh, okay. So what do you want me to do? He said, uh, here, take a look at this. This is a past weather report. And he gave me one. And I'm like, I didn't say anything. I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I said, this is boring. I, you know, I got to, I got to reconstruct what the weather was for a particular time. Then I got to. I got to, uh, you know, read all these depositions and, and keep in mind when you're reading some of these depositions um, from the plaintiff's counsel or an expert, these are like sometimes two, 300 pages. And, you know, th this is not like recreational reading of sci-fi sci or something like a TV guide. This is direct, uh, intricate sometimes stuff. You have to constantly pay attention, write down details. And I remember, I was like, I don't like this at all. He says, well, if you want to work here full time um, after you graduate, this is one of the things that you're going to have to become good at. And so May 97, he hired me full time. And, you know, he knew I didn't really like forensic meteorology that, that much. But over the course of the next several years, uh, especially when we hired uh, Kevin Hoppler full time and Sean Rowland full time, I started going more besides forecasts and going more to the past weather reports. I think what we really should cover is, you know, I always get asked when I mention forensic meteorology, I always get asked, man, that sounds so interesting. Like, what exactly does that entail? Like, what do you guys do with that? So just give us a kind of a roundabout idea of what is forensic meteorology exactly? I just tell people I work for NCIS. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. They're like, oh, really? Wow. You'd go to those, uh, all those cases. No. Um, yeah. The best definition of forensic meteorology is the process of reconstructing the weather for a particular date, time, and period. And I always tell people a forecast is a prediction, but a forensic meteorology report, it already happened. So the media can't get involved. Uh, all the weather records are saved and it's a big, it's a big puzzle. So all you got to do is put the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, and, and I'll I'll tell you when I was when I, I mean I grew up in New Jersey and I did actually did my first weather job on TV in, in in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then moved down south and I was, you know, doing weather down there on TV for a long time. But I never ever ever thought about forensic meteorology. I didn't even know it existed till I moved back up here and you know started working at WeatherWorks. And it's just something that you don't even think about. And I guess an easy way to describe it also, Tommy, is if 
you've seen everyone's seen car accidents, unfortunately, but a lot of times, like after the accident's been cleared, the road's still closed for an hour or two. And that's basically the same idea, right? They're reconstructing the accident, trying to piece together what happened. And that's kind of what you're doing, but at least on the, on the weather side of things. That's correct. Because witness statements, um, you know, video, photos can only tell you so much. You need to right. look at the weather records to, to determine, um, you know, exactly what happened. And believe it or not, you give me any location, any date and time, and I can reconstruct that weather. Um, because again, everything is archived and all you got to do is just put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, and Brad, I know you, you just mentioned that you never even heard of forensic meteorology. I don't think I, you know, when I was going to college, but I don't want to age myself back in the nineties, there was no such thing as that in college. In fact, the American Meteorological Society had its first forensic workshop. Uh, Frank and I went there. It was back in 2012. So it, again, it's not something that's very well known across the uh, U.S. And you have a you have a, a certification for this, correct? I mean, there's yes, I am uh, certified by the American Meteorological Society as a certified consulting meteorologist. Uh, myself and Frank are as well. And the last time I checked, there's only about 250 to 300 active across the whole United States. It's not very easy to get. It's a rigorous process where you have to have, have at least five years experience in the field. You have to say what your uh, expertise is. I, I did forensic meteorology and forecasting. And then what they want you to do is hand in a paper based on your area of expertise of a real life case. And then they go over that. That's one of your qualifications. You have to have three references. And then they give you, based on your area of expertise, uh, I think 15 to 19 real world example questions where you have to research them and answer them. Um, once you pass all that, then you go in front of a board of meteorologists, which consists of pretty much all PhDs. You're sitting there in a horseshoe, horseshoe type desk. You're surrounded by everyone and it's intimidating. Um, yeah, it's, it's not very easy to get. Wow. I mean, that's, that's super entailed. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I know the AMS, you know, does certifications on a lot of things. I imagine that might be really uh, uh, intricate on on your knowledge of meteorology, especially when there's only a couple hundred across the country. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm not sure how it quite works because uh, I know they do seals on broadcast meteorology too, right, Brad? Yeah, they have an NWA and AMS uh, seal. I never got either one of them. I was actually working towards my NWA one. Um, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, I don't, it's probably not even close to though, what you have to do for, uh, you know, become a forensic meteorologist and get certified for that. But believe it or not, guys, there is no, like, if you want to be a forensic meteorologist in like the state of New Jersey, you don't have to get like a license or a real certification. There is no requirement. All you have to show is that you have extensive knowledge in the field that you're going to be an expert witness in meaning how many years have you been in the field? How many cases have you gone to testify to and qualified as a weather expert witness? Um, you know, all those things come into play. And, you know, my, my first case that I went to court and testified to was, believe it or not, in Brooklyn. <laughs> you talk about a ride. I had my truck back then. You remember how I had that Silverado truck and I had to drive through New York to get there and the first parking deck I see, and I'm like, I can't fit my truck in there. I'm going to come out with a convertible. Uh, so I had to like, that was like the hardest thing for me is find parking. Um, I just remember that case back in 2009. 
Well, luckily, I did uh, testify too in court, but I didn't have to go to Brooklyn. <laughs> I, I went to, uh, 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 I think it was Somerville or Somerset or somewhere around there in New Jersey. Um, so fortunately, I didn't have to worry about that parking situation, at least. That's my biggest concern is when I'm driving here to these places, because you, you don't know where you're going to get traffic. You have to be at court at a certain time. Um, these parking decks are sometimes filled up quick. Then you have to go on the street and find parking. I remember the one time in Philadelphia, I had to go to the Philadelphia courthouse and I had this thing mapped out perfectly. I'm like, look, there's a uh, parking deck right there by the courthouse. Well, lo and behold, as soon as I got there, the road was closed. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) I actually ended up walking about a half mile or so to another parking deck, got the last spot. And just to give you an example of what the company gave me to drive there was a Dodge Caravan. Um, You know, lo and behold, yeah. So I had to go and drive in a caravan. I felt like a soccer mom. Uh, (laughs) You know, just stop off at the you know, closest field and, uh, yeah. And help the kids out. So Tommy, Weatherworks is like the middleman. I mean, where, who hires Weatherworks to do these forensic reports? I mean, is it both the insurance companies? Is it then also the clients that are, you know, trying to, to disprove something? I mean, where are we at in that process? That's a good question. Um, you know, I do work with a lot of insurance companies like State Farm, Liberty Mutual, Greater New York, uh, Nationwide. These these insurance companies that hire us, we're, we're working defense. Now, for plaintiff cases, it's attorneys lawyer, right. that are yeah, the lawyers that hire us to do the cases. And sometimes I'm not even working with an insurance company on the uh, defense side. It's another, you know, a defense attorney. So pretty much I would just say attorneys that hire us. I'm either going to be working plaintiff for defense, and believe it or not, I actually average about 50-50 plaintiff and 50-50 defense cases. I guess, Mike, that kind of puts us, that kind of gives you an idea of what the certified snowfall totals are like, too, because we're, again, we're right in the middle. We're, we're both working for the property managers, and we're also working for the snow remover. So either way, we're just doing our job the way we think it, just like Tommy would. And again, he's not you know, like you said, he's 50-50 for lawyers and 50-50 for, for insurance companies. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, we have, you know, you talked a little bit about your depositions and, and, and court appearances and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, I can talk about some types of cases if you like. We could. The, the only ones that are, that are uh, yeah, because I'm sure there, there were a lot of them that were uh, not safe for work, though, Tommy. <laughs> I tell you, I've had some very interesting cases over many years. I've had some sad ones that hit you at home. Uh, I have had some funny ones, and I've had some very serious ones. But you know, just to give an example, of what type of reports I I typically do, I would say about seventy you percent know, of my cases deal with slip and falls on snow and ice. Um, that's why winter is very important here. And last winter, good lord, February. Oof, just to know, just alone, February gave me plenty of reports for the next several years uh, with all the snow. And uh, this year, you know, South Jersey, thankfully, Long Island snowed. So I'll get, you know, a lot of reports. But up here in Northwest Jersey, we haven't had as much. But as long as we still have some cases. Um, now, besides slip and falls on snow and ice, believe it or not, I do slip and falls inside a store. Uh, let's say it's raining out. And the store doesn't have any mats down or wet floor signs. And someone walks in with rain on and wet shoes and walks on a tile floor, slips and falls. You know, the plaintiff could hire me 
and say, hey, Mr. Ells, how long was it raining for? Did they have notice it was raining? You know, or I might be working defense in a case like that and say, hey, did my client take reasonable action to show that it was going to rain that day? Um, some other cases, floods, okay, uh, some heavy rainfall reports. I've done, uh, unfortunately, lightning strikes where I've done uh, cases where someone got struck by lightning or a device got struck by lightning and need to show that there were thunderstorms in the area and it wasn't such a false claim. Uh, wind damage, car accidents dealing with a light and sun glare, weight of snow on a roof. There was uh, many winters where so much snow and ice builds up on the roof, you don't go up there and clear it, and that roof, it gets so heavy and collapses, then I'll work with an engineer to determine um, how much snow and ice was on the roof. Did it meet the engineering specs? So there's you know quite a few. But I would say the ones that hit me home the most are the ones that deal with very serious injuries of uh, you know someone being paralyzed or I'd done death by auto before. Um, any anything involving that or someone getting serious seriously hurt is, is the ones that kind of hit home. And um, you know you think about them for a while. You even even if you work on the other side, you kind of want to. You're hoping to make, you know, a nice objective report to, to help both sides out. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you pointed out all the different types of reports that we work on, because it's not only dealing with the snow and ice at all. Um, you know, I remember one of the first reports that I worked on that wasn't dealing with snow and ice had to do with thunderstorm wind damage. And I guess a tree had fallen in uh, in a pool area. And I think somebody was actually injured from it. So that kind of is what you were talking about, Tommy, um, you know, about people getting injured from, you know, the effects of thunderstorms and things like that. Yeah, the one that hit me home and I can't, you know, I'm not going to reveal the exact location, but somewhere out in the Midwest a couple of years ago, um, there was a uh, camp and during the middle of the night, a thunderstorm came and a tree fell right on the cabin and killed the person. Uh, I mean, just think you're out in summer camp and then the last thing you're thinking about is a tree coming down and killing you. Um, so I was hired to see if there was any warning for that thunderstorm, uh, type of wind damage, or, you know, they even hired an arborist to see was the tree dead should have been removed prior to the storm. So that's, you know, it's not only a meteorologist that gets involved in these cases. There are also other experts where like, I can't opine to saying, Hey, that tree should have been taken down. It was dead. That's not my area of expertise. And if I do something like that, then I can get in trouble. And actually an attorney can say, I never want Mr. Ells testifying again. You can get in trouble by going out of your area of expertise. Um, so this is why sometimes in these cases, you're not alone. You're working with an engineer because if you're doing a slip and fall case where the sidewalk was disheveled, it had a lot of you know, holes in it or cracks, and that could have contributed to the uh, slip and fall, that's where the engineer comes in. Or if it was very sloped down where there was uh, water that tended to pool there, an engineer would come to there. You could also have like a snow and ice liability expert. These are the people that remove snow and ice for a living, like in a plow truck. Um, I'll work with them sometimes. I, stri I strictly deal with the weather and say, okay, this is where the storm was. This is when it began. This is where it ended. Then the snow and ice expert will come in and say, okay, here's the industry standards on what the defense should have done to remove and um, remove the snow and ice from the uh, sidewalk or uh, incident location. So you have to be able to work with different experts and piece everything together. 
So I, I know a few times, Tommy, you had mentioned about you've gone on site inspections for a case. And what does that actually entail? Like, what, what kind of information are you looking for? What are you gaining from that site inspection for your reports? I remember um, one of the ones I went for, um, we had to show um, that if this location was on the north side of a building or was it always open and exposed to sunlight? Because if it's on the north side of a building and it's shaded, the temperature in a shaded area will be colder than what the air temperature reflects. Also, a place that's shaded from the sun will tend to see the residual snow and ice cover linger on the ground longer. This is why you always look on one side of your house, you have snow cover, the other side is completely melted. Um, so there's times where I have to go to a, a, um, like an ex exact site inspection because I can't tell from Google Earth Street View um, if it faces north, south, east, or west. I have to go there find out what the elevation is, find out if it's exposed to sunlight. Um, and that's one of the factors that I, I would have to do a uh, site inspection for. Yeah, I mean, that that, that really kind of, um, you know, brings more light into the fact that, you know, hey, it's not just looking at these weather conditions, you know, remotely. You know, sometimes we have to get out there in the field and find out what's going on. Yeah, because that's, too, one of the questions I'll get on the stand from the other side, the opposing counsel, is were you at the site? <laughs> um, because if you say no, well, how do you know there was ice there? How do you know what it looks like? Have you ever been there before? That's one of the questions. And luckily with Google Earth, you have Street View. You also have BingMaps.com where they got Street View pictures. You can actually say, no, I've never been there, but here, here's some photos. This is exactly what the location looks like. So it helps me reconstruct the weather. But there are some attorneys that say, I don't care. Charge me. Go down to the site. Take a look at it. At least we know that you've been there. Like my cousin Vinny, where you actually have to go in there and show the pictures <laughs> the of two yeah. Utes. <laughs> These two Utes. But uh, yeah, I would imagine. I mean, things. I mean, that's kind of you know. Well, that granted, that's a different whole idea. But you know, I guess that's the kind of things you have to prove though, and show that you've been there. And I think there's a picture of you somewhere on uh, WeatherWorks website of you measuring like a curb and. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, what other kind of things would you have to actually do in the field um, other than? Oh, by know, the way, that that picture of me measuring the curb, I had to go to that site and take my shoes off and go in the parking lot and show. Um, I remember they were saying, no, take your shoes off, go out into the parking lot. It was freezing cold um, because I um, just to have like a certain I needed it for a certain height uh, for a measurement. Uh, because one of the cases there, we had to show that the snow was under two inches, so the contractor didn't have to come out yet. Um, so that was one of the cases that was pretty interesting uh, to do. Um, so there's, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, but most of the time when I do a site inspection, it's pretty much going to be, does it get sunlight during the day? Um, because then the engineer will come, and he's the one that's going to talk about the slope Yes, it has a downward slope. That's where water tends to pool. They should have paid attention to that area more. That's more his area. And they'll come with a level and they'll see what the slope, degree slope is. So I guess I was going to say, so I guess, you know, them hiring WeatherWorks, you know, for whatever our charge is, a couple hundred dollars or, you know, per hour versus, you know, the case could be worth. I mean, what, what, are, what, what was like the highest amount of, I mean, can you talk about that? Like, what was the, the richest case basically that you've ever been a part of? Ten million dollar lawsuit. Jesus. Yeah, person was permanently injured. Uh, ten million dollar lawsuit. Frank had ones for several million with a lightning strike. Um, 
Yeah, they, they get up there depending on how severe the injuries are. In fact, some of the times the plaintiff has such a high demand because of all the medical expenses that the, that the, uh, the victim has to pay out. Um, and they don't settle because of that. So then it goes to court and then, you know, it's up to a jury to decide how much money does the uh, plaintiff get. Um, so I, yeah, I got one case now where it's still not going to settle because of all the, uh, the doctor bills, um, that the plaintiff has incurred. And so it's going to go to court. That's, that's interesting that you, uh, said about settling because I remember the, the first case that I went to court on, um, everybody kept telling me, oh, they'll settle. Oh, they'll settle. No problem. Oh, they'll settle. Yeah. <laughs> and then days are clicking by and nobody's settling. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to court. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good, uh, you know, most of the time, these cases do settle. I'll go to court a couple times a year. You know, now with COVID, I've, I've actually gone a few cases where we did it by Zoom um, or Microsoft team meeting because, you know, no one's allowed in the courtroom. But there's such a backlog right now because of COVID. But uh, going back to how many cases I do a year, go to court, eh, maybe three, four, five. Um, that's about it. Because again, most of these cases settle. In fact, one case, I had everything everything planned. You know, it took me about two hours to get to this place in Nassau County. And right as I get there, my attorney comes up to me and says, we're in settlement talks. And I'm like, oh, I just drove. But the company policy is once I leave, they get charged a full day. yeah. What's like the statute of limitations? Like how far back can you, can like, can somebody say, oh, I slipped on ice 20 years ago. I want to sue now. Or I have a, I have this injury that just hasn't gone away 10 years ago. And now I think it's because I slipped and fell on ice. Yeah. I don't know what the statute of limitation is. Sherilyn, uh, the director knows that more or an attorney, but I think it, it's at least a couple of years. Cause then after that, once that passes, you can't go and say you you slipped and fell or sued for something. But I do have cases that are still back in 2015, 2016. They just, just they keep lingering. They haven't settled yet because um, of court. But I think there's a, a statute limitation where you can only certain amount of years goes by. Yeah, you can't you can't go and say, oh yeah, I remember that day I slipped and fell and get an attorney. Tommy, if if you're in court, like um, just curious. You know, you were mentioning about the the lawyers maybe uh, questioning you about, you know, well, how do you know what was there? Like, how do you know you weren't at the site at that time? You know, how can you possibly know if there was snow or ice on the ground? How do you answer that type of question when it comes present when it presents itself? Well, it depends on the type of um, uh, during discovery. That's, you know, everything's discoverable to both sides that they have to, you know, share the information and that means like photos of the incident scene taken at the time of the incident a police report uh an ambulance report a witness um video surveillance those are the cases that are a little bit easier when you have photos that are taken right at the right at the time of the scene because they're time stamped you have a date and um what i do is i take that then i take the weather records and a combination of both of them makes for a very strong case if there was snow and ice there say hey Look, the weather records show it's there. And here, we got a picture that states, look at it. There's there's two, three inches of snow and ice on the ground. Okay, that's from this storm only. Um, there's also cases where there are no photos, there are no witnesses, and you all you have is the weather records. So when I testify, I'll say, you know, it's my meteorological expert opinion based on the data alone, 
this is what the conditions were. And then they'll say, are you sure about that? I said, yeah, I mean, based on the data, there's, there's no supporting documentation of testimony besides what plaintiff said. And this is all I can do. And they say, okay, you know, thanks for your time. This is all, you know, just so the jury knows that, you know, sometimes all you have is the weather records. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I was curious about that. I, I remember I was asked a similar question when I, when I did testify and I, and I was trying to think back on how I answered that question, but I figured, well, Tommy's here. He could do that. now. <laughs> well, I remember one time the, um, the attorney asked me and I learned this is many years ago when I first started. Um, I said, well, because plaintiff testified to it. Nope. Mr. Ellis, you can't say that you have to show with a reasonable doubt. Um, you know, what are you using? You can't just say plaintiff testified to that because anyone can say, oh, yeah, he slipped and fell on ice. No. Show me what you're doing. Do you have photos? Do you have video? Do you have witnesses? Do you have data to support it? You just can't say plaintiff testified to it. That's not going to fly. So, so where, where is, I mean, I, I know the National Weather Service you know, has tons and tons of observations. And I mean, is there a secret to where you would actually find all the previous data on a certain date. I mean, what, what's your process of going back to, you know, to this, to a certain day and, and to a certain hour and even a minute? Well, all the data for the National Weather Service, and that includes the surface observation from the airports, the storm spotter reports, the, the forecast, the advisories, the radar images, satellite images, all that's stored and archived at the National Center for Environmental Information in North Carolina. And so we have, they give meteorologists like myself a direct link where you can download the data for free. And it, I tell you, back in the day, before this um, would even happen, Frank and I would have to call what's beforehand was called the National Climatic Data Center. We'd have to call and speak to someone and order the data and then wait for the data to arrive by mail. Several years ago, they, everything now is online. So now I can, I, this is why sometimes I can crank out these reports pretty quickly because the data is, is at my disposal real quick. Um, and that's what's great now for meteorologists is we have, I look at the data, I can look on it on the fly, right there, save it to my computer and go. Now there is a thing where you need the data you're looking at to be certified. And in a case like that, I always say that's the government's way of making money because the certified data is the exact same data I'm looking at. I just can't put that what's called the blue ribbon of seal on it. And all that is is just the custodian of records from the National Center for Environmental Information prints out the data, signs it, doesn't look it over, nothing. And they charge like two, $300 for that data alone. Yeah, that is that is quite interesting. Like, <laughs> you know, the. I, I think people, when they see certified data from, you know, wherever it may come from, not necessarily WeatherWorks, but, you know, we, at WeatherWorks, we, you know, have somebody quality controlling, looking things over, like with our certified snowfall totals. But in this instance, you know, you're, you're just getting somebody basically just putting a stamp on it and sending them exactly what they have. Right. That's And it's the exact stuff that we're looking at online. You know, a meteorologist like myself, I know what the data looks like. I know where there's errors, but the custodian records ain't going to do that. And just to give you an example, too, God forbid you have a case that deals with radar. Each radar image is $27 to be certified. <laughs> so just think, there's sometimes 12 images per hour. Imagine looking at something that's several days worth of radar. The client will be broke. 
So you got to pick and choose sometimes. Well, you know, I think we uh, covered that pretty extensively, but maybe we should get into some of these odd cases that you might have done uh, that might be more interesting uh, uh, to, to somebody out there who's just like, all right, let, let's hear some crazy stuff this guy's done. As long as you don't get in trouble, Tom. We won't get you in trouble. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, some of these cases are already settled, but I remember one of the scariest ones one time is I had to represent someone in prison. And I'm just like, I just want to let you all know on the record that I believe you're all innocent. Uh, <laughs> there's a guy, I'm not going to mention the courthouse or where it took place or where the prison was, but I had to represent someone that slipped and fell in the yard. And my they hired me to see what the weather was, if she had been in the yard that day. And they actually showed the video of the person falling and injuring themselves. And I just remember saying, oh, I hope the data is favorable for them. This guy's going to come out and find me one of these days. Um, that was one of the scarier cases. The other case I had was um, with a DUI. And, you know, I'm working defense in this case. And the attorney calls me and says, yeah, you know, my client got stopped for a DUI. You know, um, she's innocent. The, the officer said she was drinking because her cheeks were flush. But I think she was her cheeks were flushed because the window was down. And it was in the 50s and uh, it was windy that day. So all I need you to do is say, you know, what the temperature was, what the wind conditions were, and then I'll take it from there. So I'm like, I had no idea what her blood alcohol content was or what the uh, uh, the breathalyzer tested. They just wanted me to stick with the weather. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Right, and, and you're not doing anything wrong. You're just actually testifying the, the actual weather conditions, whether or not right, you're just telling them what the weather was. And then if they want to go on their own tangents with all that, I guess that's out of your control, right? Yeah. The one Frank did <laughs> uh, with a married couple is, you know, the wife said that every now and then the husband would come home, his hair was all disheveled and he kept blaming it on the weather. And uh, so Frank had to go and reconstruct the weather in the days that she said his hair was all disheveled. The wind was calm those days. <laughs> and so she showed that he was cheating on her. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting case. Um, <laughs> so make sure if you get caught, make sure you have a hat on or you should comb your hair beforehand. I would say that those were um, some of the, uh, the more fun ones I had, but the, the serious ones. Again, um, I'll tell you, the ones I fear the most of doing all these cases, you know, it's not the slip and fall cases, it's trees coming down. Because I've done cases where a tree comes down in a house, you're asleep, you're dead. Um, or you're driving and a tree comes down, lands on your car, what, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. Wrong place, you can't wrong get time, out of the way. Honestly, that just happened to um, one of my wife's uh, friends. Um, with the, one of the windstorms we just had, they were driving along and a tree branch came down and it broke through their windshield of the car. And luckily, you know, everybody was okay. Just some scratches and, and things like that. But I mean, yeah, people don't realize like you have a big limb that comes down or even a whole tree itself. There's nothing you can do. It's going to go right through your house. It's going to go right through your car. And I've done so those cases to me are the ones where as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh, someone died or someone got seriously hurt. Um, yeah, those are the ones that hit home. I've done some car accidents where, you know, it's sun glare and someone hits someone. They didn't see him crossing a the street. Those, you know, hit home as well. Um, 
also had one, too, dealing with um, they wanted to rule out any weather where someone was heavily intoxicated driving. And they wanted to show that the weather wasn't involved. He wrapped his car around a tree. Um, you know, it's like those you read and uh, or the incidents on the turnpike or the parkway where, you know, a fatality occurred where someone got struck. And, uh, you know, hats off to those first responders and the police that deal with those cases, because I, I'd be haunted for months seeing stuff like that i'm like do i tell them they're, and they're like we got photos i'm like don't send me any photos <laughs> i you know yeah. i'll just stick with the weather i don't want to look at any of that stuff um so yeah those are the ones guys that hit me at home pretty hard you know a couple of weeks ago um we had a we had a case or not a, we had snow squalls come through a couple saturdays ago um have you ever dealt with snow squalls i mean accidents because those are the you hear about these chain reactions almost every year there's somewhere and uh, actually i not much happened with this past one. There was a bad accident on Route 81 um, out towards like Hazleton in Pennsylvania with these snow squalls a couple of Saturdays ago. But have you ever dealt with these before in any other case? Yeah, you know, you, you've seen them online, like the chain reaction ones in uh, PA or Ohio, where they cause multiple car accidents and backups. No, I have not dealt with anything like that. Um, I don't know if I ever dealt with something where a snow squall actually was the thing that caused it. Um, luckily, I don't have, yeah, th- those are the ones that are very significant. I have not, luckily, have not had to deal with something like that. Uh, I, I just still, you know, I still have to think about these different, I mean, Sunglare is another one. I've never even thought about that. I mean, it happens to everybody. I, I, you've been blinded and you can't see, you know, until you get past a shady part or something. And who knows if, if a car jumps in front of you, you know, within a quarter of a mile that you can't see. It's, well, take a look when you're driving at night, right? Think about when you're driving at night, when someone crosses the street, I can't see them, right? Especially if they have dark colored clothing on and there's no street lights. How do you see, you know, it's very hard. Oh, he was in a crosswalk. Well, how do you see that? And, and there's cases where I get where it's like, uh, you know, if some people don't have their headlights on and it's sunset, you know, they use me for that to say, okay, um, you know, because there's three different types of twilight that occur once the sun sets. You have civil twilight where you can still do things, you know, without artificial lighting. And then you have nautical twilight. Then you have astronomical twilight. Uh, there's a certain amount of lighting still present during these twilights. But, I mean, just think about when you're driving and, you you know, someone crosses the street. How do you see? You can't even see them sometimes. It's it's. But that's where the, um, you know, the lighting cases, I will do some of those cases where, the pedestrians crossing, someone didn't have their headlights on, and boom, hits them. And this has been a great talk uh, so far. I mean, I, I hope people, you know, really get a sense for what actually forensic meteorologists are doing, because it's not just, you know, those slip and fall accidents. There's so much more to it and so much that you have to look into. Well, I had an attorney the other day, my last te- one of my last testimonies, um, fact the office was listening to it because it was public made publicly available where one of the the attorneys says hey you're a meteorologist um you guys can't even get a forecast right for several days and i said well i had to stop him right there and i said well there's there's a big difference a forecast is a prediction a fast weather report it already happened everything's archived all i gotta do is put the pieces of the puzzle together and there it is and people, you know, they, they confused those two. And I keep telling them, listen, the media is not involved. Um, there's no hype, nothing. This is it. This is what happened. 
here it is. It doesn't matter what warnings or advisors are out. These are the conditions. It's it's what can be proven uh, by you with what facts are available. And that's it. Does, does the forecast, Tommy, does, does the forecast ever come into play during any kind of uh, a testimony? I mean, do they ever say, well, the forecast had this, but then this happened. And my plaintiff, or he wasn't prepared, or they weren't expecting this. Yeah, there's cases where if I'm working plaintiff, for instance, and the forecast, you know, several days out had, you know, snow in the forecast and then a, an advisory came out or winter storm warning, I'll use that because in case the defense says, hey, you know, there was no notice, this thing came out of nowhere. And then I'll come in and say, here's his own forecast. Here's the advisories. This was issued well in advance. It was something that was well forecast. Now, I've had other cases where I'm working defense and the weather service didn't put an advisory out until the event was over because it was one of those hit or miss events. So it's happened to me both times where I've worked with plaintiff and it was well advertised, well forecast. And there was other times I worked defense and the weather service had a poor forecast or it wasn't something that it just was very isolated and came out of nowhere. And they didn't, they didn't put the advisory out or a special weather statement out until it was after the incident happened. Now, you have to use the weather service because, again, you know, we have our own private forecasting services for our own clients, and sometimes they're not the same as the weather service forecast, but I guess you have to use them because it's it's a government agency. That's correct. The National Weather Service is the only government entity that can produce a forecast. They're under the Department of Commerce, and those forecasts are the only ones that are archived. Uh, I can't say, hey, you know, like a private company like WeatherWorks or AccuWeather or any other of the big companies out there, the Weather Channel, we can't say, okay, winter storm warnings in effect. We can't do that. We cannot issue an advisory, a watch, or warning. That's where the National Weather Service comes in, and that's where we have to access and archive those forecasts uh, to show what was going on. Yeah. Now, granted, we will send to our clients and say that, hey, here's a storm alert for the upcoming event of four to eight inches and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, well, what Tommy is getting at is just that we need documentation, right, from us. Yeah, I can't say, hey, my phone app said, uh, <laughs> you know, three to six inches. This is what I was following. Um, you know, this is that's where, again, you have to because the National Weather Service is on forecast, the watches, warnings, advisories, they're they're teletyped across the TV. They're on the radio. They're they're everywhere. Um, you know, I've had some cases where they say, yeah, I was using my phone app. OK. What did your phone app say? I don't know. I don't have it. It changed too many times since uh, the last yeah. couple of hours. <laughs> and you, you don't have access to that. So you can't use that in the court of law. Well, hey, I mean, man, I think this has been a really great talk about forensic meteorology. Um, um, Brad, I don't know if you have any other last minute questions, but I think we covered most of our session. I got I got one for you guys. Oh, he's got and, one more. Okay. Yeah. The reason why I like forensic meteorology is because I love solving problems. You're playing detective. You have to figure out what happened. And I really love cases where I go against another expert and then it's you versus the expert, your data versus his data, your findings versus his findings. Who can present the data the best? And there's times I go up against someone, wow, they're very good. And I got other times I go up against someone who's not a meteorologist and kind of opines to that. You know, that's, it goes you both ways. the water, basically. <laughs> yeah, but it's, 
I, I really this is why I love problem solving. It's it's problem solving. It's it's you're playing detective. You have to figure out what happened. I would imagine you have to have all your bases covered anyway going to the court because I think what you said earlier, you know, the plaintiff's testimony isn't. That's just what they're. You still have to prove everything, and then you probably have to have everything covered before you even take that stand. Yeah, when you're on the stand, uh, you better be on your A game because you have some attorneys that ask some very intricate and tricky questions one time. Then, and then they'll word the question just a little differently down the road. And if you answer that question different, you're done. So you always have to pay attention to what you, and you only answer what they ask you. Because if you start blobbing, blah, 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 going off on tangents, they know they got you. You just answer only to what they ask. That's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember with the, uh, the case I testified on, uh, they, they presented data to me. And they called it a, uh, a co-op station. And I looked at it and I go, well, there's no co-op station in the state of New Jersey with this name. <laughs> and right there, I, boom, had them. <laughs> you had them right there. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you also get the ones where, remember, the co-op stations report 7 a.m. in the morning. So it's a 24-hour lag. And the guy's like, look, 7 a.m. right here. It says four inches of snow fell. No, that's 7 a.m. from the previous day to 7 a.m. today. Um, so you get the ones where they misconstrue or, or uh, totally don't analyze the weather data correctly. And you have to explain it to them. You know, and it was also, it was also funny, too, because, you know, after I said there's no there's no co-op station with this name. So I don't know, you know where this was produced. And then I said, also, there's a. Uh, a hole punch through the date, so <laughs> 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 whatever they handed me, and I was like, "So I, I have no idea what date this might be for." Uh, <laughs> so that 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 was the one thing I do remember uh, for the case I did go to. Yeah, there's there's times too where um, your attorney may throw you under the bus, um, where they don't tell you or give you all the data that was disclosed, and then they're like, "So." did you see this happen in discovery? And I'm like, uh, this is one of those times you want to stick a Twix in your mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, I hope there's a power outage or something, but you know, there, there's times too, where your attorney can not give you all the pieces of information. And then you're just like, Oh, geez. Um, but, uh, Hey Tommy, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, so I, I really thank you for coming on to the podcast here. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tommy. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, anytime you have a slip and fall, make sure you take pictures. <laughs> but yeah. I won't be able to represent you. It's a, it's a conflict of interest. Yeah, especially uh, especially at our company. Sorry, that won't work out. But uh, thank you uh, for coming out and being on the podcast. It was great. I, I'm hoping all of our listeners out there um, really got a good sense of what forensic meteorology really is. But anyway, um, that's it for our podcast for this week. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening, as always. Find Weatherworks on social media. And come back in two weeks. We'll have a new episode right here on the Weather Lounge.